you know when I'm most impatient? As your pastor, I am most impatient, not when I'm sitting in traffic. That's not when I'm most impatient. I'm a little impatient, but not most impatient then. I'm not most impatient when I say to my lovely wife, Amber, in order for us to make our reservations, we need to leave no later than 6.30, okay? And then at 6.35, she's still putting on her makeup. That doesn't faze me at all. I'm never impatient in that moment. No, I find myself most impatient in that gap between the time you order your food at a restaurant and the food actually shows up. Are you with me? That's when I, I just, my stomach is rumbling. I showed up hungry. That's why I went to a restaurant in the first place. I've placed my order and then the waiter disappears and I'm just left sitting there with a growling stomach and no idea how long it's actually gonna take for the food to show up. I'm that guy that's just like sitting there the whole time. You're like, where's our food? Come on, hurry up. What's taking so long? They have to butcher the cow back there? I'm starving. Hurry up, hurry up. Amber's always like, calm down, just be patient, you know? But I think that's why they call them waiters. It's a cruel joke. They're just making you wait. That's what they do. So I don't like waiting. It's not my favorite thing in the world. I'm, I'm that guy that anytime a, a server walks into the room, I'm like, oh, that, that must be our food. It's not even our server, you guys. Like our server is a male. That's a female, but I'm convinced it must be my food. They come in carrying a tray. I ordered lobster, but there's a burrito on the plate. I'm like, that's gotta be my food. Surely that's my food. I'm just always hopeful that my food is just around the corner and that it's coming. I am really, really impatient when it comes to food. Now you might be saying to yourself, I'm sorry, do you, did you say you go to restaurants where they serve lobsters and burritos? Yes, I do. Follow me on Instagram for recommendations and reviews. We go to fun places. Now, imagine you and I went out to dinner and we sat down and I ordered and the waiter went to the kitchen to turn in the ticket. And after a couple minutes, I start my grumbling and I'm just like, oh, I'm so hungry. My stomach's gnawing on my backbone. When are they going to come with the food? And eventually I say, you know what? I can't take it anymore. I can't wait a minute longer. So I jump up, I throw in my coat. I run out the front door and across the street to a gas station. Then I come back to our table and I sit down and I've got a family-sized bag of Doritos and I'm just like... You would say, that's the dumbest thing. What's the matter with you? You've already ordered your food. You know it's coming. All you need to do, Dan, is just be patient. If you would just be patient, you would get the thing that you're wanting so bad. But because you were impatient, you ran across the street, you grabbed a bag of chips, and now you've eaten a bunch of empty trash calories. You're still on the hook. You have to pay for the food you already ordered. They're going to charge you for that lobster, bro, but you're probably full. You don't want to eat that anymore. It's almost like my impatience led to impulsiveness, which caused me to settle for something imperfect. Impatience leads to impulsiveness, which causes you to settle for something imperfect. Now, I know this story is a little ridiculous, okay? I know that, and I, although I get hungry and a little grumbly when I'm out at a restaurant, I've never left to go get food somewhere else and come back. I've never actually done that. But listen, as crazy as that sounds, we do the same thing all the time when it comes to God. God makes a promise to us. He says, hey, I'm gonna do this. I promise I will provide you that. And then he doesn't show up in the time frame that we think he should, and we get tired of waiting. And so we say to ourselves, well, I guess I'm going to have to make something happen on my own. And so we try to take matters into our own hands. We do this all the time with our father. And what ends up happening is the, the same thing that I've outlined in this story. We settle for something subpar because we can have it now. Because I can have it right now. 
I would rather just have it. I know it's not, like a bag of Doritos is not as good as a lobster dinner, but if I can have it right now, at least I can have it right now. And I think too often we choose the immediate for the things that will really satisfy us. We do this all the time as we wait on God's promises. But here's the deal, you guys. If you wanna see God do something truly crazy, really miraculous in your life, it's gonna take a little bit of patience on your part. It's not gonna happen immediately. God does not often answer our prayers immediately. It often takes time and there's a good reason for it. So what I want you guys to learn from this morning's passage is that crazy faith is patient faith. We've been talking about crazy faith for the last several weeks and today I want you to know that crazy faith really is patient faith. Now, before we get too far into this passage, let me tell you, I know this is going to be the least popular message in the whole series because nobody wants to be told, be patient. Nobody likes waiting. We want God to deliver. We want to see the miracle come. We hope that the breakthrough happens as quickly as possible. But I'm telling you, friends, crazy faith is patient faith. And if you're going to experience God's best, you're going to have to wait just a little bit for it. So to set the stage for this story that we're going to read um, from the Old Testament today, here's the cool part. There are only two characters in the whole story. So it's really simple to follow. The first character is a man named Saul. And Saul is the king of ancient Israel. And as the king, he is engaged in a massive war against another country called the Philistines, all right? So King Saul is leading the armies of Israel against their enemy out in the battlefield. The second character is a man named Samuel. And Samuel is a prophet. So Samuel's job is to make sure that King Saul and all of the Israelites are following through with God's justice and holiness. They're living it out in their country every single day. So you got two characters, the king who's leading the army to battle. You've got the prophet who is making sure that the king stays close to God. So in the verses that we're about to read, Saul has gathered his army together on the battlefield and they're about to go to war against this giant Philistine army. This was a huge epic scene, you guys. This is like Game of Thrones minus the dragons. I mean, this is like huge warfare that's going on. But just before he's about to go into battle, he gets a message from the prophet Samuel and Samuel says, Saul, listen, whatever you do, do not go to battle until I get to the front lines and I'm able to offer sacrifices to God. That way, when you go to war, you're gonna have God's blessing. Whatever you do, don't do anything until I get there. So we pick up the story here in verse number five and listen to this, I mean, this is wild. I love this. The verse tells us, the Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at the area of Michmash, east of Beth Haven. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in. Highlight that phrase in your mind. They saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped from the land of, escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. They're like literally fleeing the battlefield. Meanwhile, Saul, the king, stayed at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel. Samuel had sent him this message. Don't do anything until I get there. It's gonna take me seven days. He waited there seven days for Samuel as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offerings himself. Now, I'm gonna pause right here. And what we just read, it probably doesn't seem super dramatic to any of us reading this in you know, 2021. But every ancient Israelite that read this story, they would have gasped. 
when they heard that Saul made the sacrifice. They would have been like, oh, he did what? Are you kidding me? What in the world was he thinking? And that's because in an earlier passage, in an earlier commandment, God had prohibited the king from making these sorts of sacrifices. This was something only the priest was supposed to do because the king was not anointed and consecrated in the same way that the priests were. And so when the Israelites read this, when we read it, we're supposed to be blown away like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that he just did this, all right? It turns out that his impatience led him to make a grave mistake. This was serious, you guys. In fact, before we get to the end of this passage this morning, we're gonna find out that his impatience cost him the throne. He is going to lose his kingdom because he refused or was unable to wait on God. Now, before we judge Saul too harshly here, okay? Because it's easy to be like, what an idiot. Like, seriously, just hold on and wait a few minutes, bro. Before we judge him too harshly, I want you to remember that phrase that I told you to highlight from verse number six. Remember, we were told that Saul and his men, they were in a tight spot. They were surrounded by the enemy. It felt like, Time was slipping away. The opportunity was going to pass. And if Samuel didn't hurry up and they didn't offer the sacrifices, they were going to go to war and things were going to be all out of sorts and out of pocket and things were going to go badly for Saul. He was in a tight spot. And have you ever been in a tight spot? You ever been in a tight spot where you feel like your options are dwindling and the walls are closing in and there's like this anxious voice that's rising up inside of you that's like, okay, we gotta do something because it's getting worse and worse and, and there's a deadline and if we don't do something now, then the opportunity is gonna pass. You ever found yourself in a tight spot? Yes, you have. I know you have. We've all been there at some point in our life. And I hear these stories all the time from people like in the city and in our congregation. Like maybe you've been waiting on a spouse for a long time. You know what I mean? And you just feel the pressure of time ticking away, you know? You're that person that when you hear somebody and they're like, yeah, I've been waiting for a man for like two or three years. God's just making me exercise patience. You're like, two or three years? Girl, I've been at this for decades. I don't know if God's ever gonna come through. You just feel that pressure coming. And so you may actually feel the pressure to take matters into your own hand, a little bit like Saul did. And so if you're a believer, you say, well, maybe I consider somebody who's not really a Christian because then at least I'd have a man, right? Or maybe you want to get out of your parents' house. Not a bad thing, right? You're like, I want to be out of the basement. I want to be on my own. That's good. But you, because you feel that push, you feel the tight spot that you're in, you're, you're um, considering signing a mortgage that's way more than you can afford. But you're like, at least it gets me out of the house, right? Or maybe you're thinking about leaving a church, you know? It may not be the right time, and you're just like, hey, at least it's a move. It'll get me out of this situation. We find ourselves often in this place where it seems like we're, we're running out of time, we're running out of opportunity, and God's not coming. He's not gonna show up. And so we have to take matters into our own hands. Listen, my friends, the gap between the promise and the provision is the hard part of crazy faith. The gap between the promise and the provision, that's the hard part of having crazy faith. When you have prayed and you are waiting on God to answer, you're in a vulnerable moment. That's actually when your faith is going to be tested. When you believe God has told you that something is coming through, but he hasn't delivered on it yet, that is when you are truly in the battle. In fact, it might be 
that the biggest battle you are facing is not external, it's internal. Do you realize the battle that Saul was really fighting here was not against the Philistine army? God had already promised them that he was going to give them the victory. All they had to do was wait on God to show up. The battle was already won. So his enemy wasn't the Philistines. His enemy was his own impatience. He was battling that that feeling that like, "Ah, it's all coming to a head and I got to do something because apparently God has forgotten all about us. Same might be true for you. The biggest battle that you might be facing may not be your cancer or your manager or your sister. It may be your own impatience and your own impulsiveness, that feeling that God has abandoned you. And if anything about your situation is gonna change, then you're the one that's gonna have to make it change. That is probably the biggest battle you're facing. And the tighter the spot you get yourself into, or the bigger the gap between the promise and the provision, the more temptation you're going to feel to make stuff happen on your own. This is precisely what Saul was doing here. But listen, if you do things in your own timing, then you will experience your best. And your best might be okay. But if you do things in God's timing, then you will experience God's best. And trust me, God's best is always better than your best, all right? Perhaps this is why the Bible says in Psalm chapter number 27, verse 14, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and I'll say it again for everybody who's a little thick in the skull, wait for the Lord the Lord. I needed it repeated because I was the one that was thick in the skull. Wait for the Lord. The scripture says, listen, don't run ahead. Don't try to take matters into your own hand. Wait for the Lord. Yeah, but Dan, you don't understand. Like my biological clock is ticking. I mean, it is running down here and there's an opportunity in front of me at work. And if I don't take it, then I may not ever get another opportunity. And you know what? At least it's a relationship and some relationship is better than no relationship. Listen, wait for the Lord. Don't settle for something subpar just because you can have it now. Don't take matters into your own hands and you know, believe that God has forgotten you. Instead, wait for the Lord. If he has promised you something in his word or through his spirit, if he has promised it, he will deliver on it. But he's not gonna deliver on your timetable. He's gonna deliver on his timetable. So that means you may have to wait for the Lord. But waiting for the Lord is always worth it. Saul didn't wait gets him into a bit of trouble. Look at what happens here in verse number 10. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, he had just gotten done offering the sacrifice himself. Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcomed him, but Samuel said, what is this you have done? And Saul replied, well, I saw my men scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you said you would and the Philistines were at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. So Saul takes a moment here and he tries to justify his impatience. He tries to justify his actions. And honestly, he does a pretty decent job. Because what he says is, look, Samuel, I don't know what you're getting so mad about. I'm doing a good thing. It is a good thing to offer a sacrifice to God, to honor him, to worship him, to ask for him to be with us when we go to the battle. Like offering the sacrifice is a good thing and a good thing can never be a bad thing, right? But the problem was not in Saul's actions. The problem was in Saul's timing. 
The problem was not the fact that he needed or wanted to make a sacrifice for God. It's that he rushed the sacrifice and he didn't wait on God's man to show up. See, the right thing at the wrong moment is a curse. The right thing at the wrong moment is a curse. We tend to think if I get the right thing, then the timing doesn't really matter. I'm going to be happy. Everything's going to be okay. Not so. The right thing at the wrong moment is often a curse. A Lambo is a beautiful thing, you guys. But not when you're 16 and stupid. Are you with me? You don't need a supercar when you first get your driver's license. It may be the right thing, but it's definitely at the wrong moment, okay? Leaving your church to go to another church, that might be the right thing to do in some cases, but not in a huff, not on the spur of the moment because somebody said something that ticked you off. There is a right moment to do the right thing. So many of us think God is cursing us because he's making us wait. But the reality is God is blessing us by making us wait because it's in that waiting that we get prepared to receive God's very best. It's a little bit like the girl that's always like jumping from relationship to relationship. You know what I mean? It could be a good thing to get another boyfriend, but probably not two weeks after your last relationship imploded. Sometimes we need to slow down. We need patience. We need to take a break and wait for the Lord. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be preaching um, uh, uh, the final message of this series, and we're going to be looking at the final night of Jesus' life. So he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's just about to be arrested and hung on a cross. And um, in his time in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's under tremendous pressure, and he prays in the garden, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I'm praying that you'll deliver me. My miracle, Jesus says, is that there would be some other way to deal with the sin in the world. Yet, Jesus says, I don't want my will to be done. God, I want your will to be done. And we'll see in a couple of weeks when we dive deep into this passage, this is a model for how we should pray. We should pray fully, God, in faith, I'm asking you for this miracle. And yet, not what I will, what you, well, I want what your will is to be done. But hear me now, okay? When we pray God's will to be done, we are not just asking that God would give us what God wants us to have, but when God wants us to have it. Are you with me? It encompasses both the gift and the timing of the gift because the right thing at the wrong moment is actually a curse. It may be that God has already said yes to the thing that you're asking for. He simply said, wait a little longer. Can you be patient? And I promise you, I'll give it to you in the right season because if I give it to you now, it would be the wrong moment and it would turn out to be a curse for you. All right, so Saul has tried to justify himself in verse number 13, Samuel responds, how foolish, he exclaimed. You have, not you have not kept the command of the Lord your God that he gave you. Had you kept the command, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Samuel tells Saul that he's being foolish by being so impatient, that his impatience led to impulsiveness and it led to imperfect or really unfortunate behavior. As judgment, God removes his anointing from King Saul and he takes it over and places it on another man named David. 
like the same David who killed Goliath. He's gonna be the new king. Now look, this is gonna take 40 years, okay? 40 years before his kingdom finally comes to an end. And actually this isn't his last chance because God is really merciful and gracious. He actually gives Saul another chance a few chapters later in the book of 1 Samuel. And wouldn't you know it, Saul does the exact same thing again. He rushes ahead of God. He doesn't wait and follow God's command. So God is like, look, now everybody knows. For centuries and millennia, you, dude, everybody is gonna know that you could not be patient and wait. Listen, the scripture tells us that Saul was 15 minutes away from a kingdom, a dynasty that would have lasted forever. He was 15 minutes away from the thing that he wanted so desperately in life. But because he was impatient, because he was impulsive, because he didn't wait on the Lord, and instead he took matters into his own hand, it cost him everything. Guys, I see this all the time in my own life, but in the lives of others as well. The things that we think are going to move us forward, they actually pull us backwards. The things that we believe are going to get us closer to where God wants us to go, they actually get us off track completely. And so God pronounces a pretty harsh judgment on Saul here. And, and you may, like me, when you read this passage, you're like, man, that is really rough. Like, that's very harsh, God. I mean, he was impatient. Well, you know, he didn't murder anybody or anything. He was just impatient. He got the timing wrong. Why is this such a big deal to you? And I think part of the reason it's such a big deal and the reason that God treats it so seriously here in this passage and in others is that in real life, getting the timing wrong... Being impatient and impulsive often has very harsh consequences in our life. Do you realize that? It is. The results of having a one-night stand are often really harsh to deal with. Hmm? Okay, okay, apparently I'm stepping on some toes here. Listen, the fallout from gossiping about people online behind their back is often really harsh. When you're at the bar and you decide, ah, I can drive home, I'm good, instead of waiting on an Uber to come pick you up, you get impatient, you get impulsive, and the consequences are often quite difficult to deal with. That's the reality of the world that we live in. And God is illuminating that for us here in his word. Thankfully, the consequences are not always so dire, but how often do we allow our impatience to cause us to be impulsive and then we settle for the imperfect? God has something truly wonderful in store for each of us, but he doesn't answer our prayers immediately. He often asks us to wait for the Lord, to trust in his timing, and to believe that his timing will bring the right things at the right point in our life so that we can truly enjoy them. Don't compromise your miracle by being too hasty. We might put it like this, honestly. The only thing that's harder than waiting on God is wishing you would have. The only thing that's harder than waiting on God is just wishing you would have. I don't want to be like rude here, and I'm not talking negatively about anybody, but like I know so many people, and like they're like, I'm just desperate for God to give me a spouse. Like I've been waiting forever, and I know how hard it is to wait for the Lord in this area. But listen, being single is better than fighting custody battles. I'm just going to be honest. And if, if you're fighting custody battle, if you're, if you're divorced, I'm, there's nothing wrong with you. I'm not saying anything like that. But I'm just saying, like, being, like, uh, uh, saving a little bit each week or month from your paycheck is better than overextending yourself and having to declare bankruptcy. I'm telling you guys, waiting on the Lord is hard. 
But the only thing harder than that is looking back and saying, dang, I wish I'd been 15 minutes more patient. I wish I would have waited a couple of more months. I probably could have avoided a lot of the pain and the heartache that I'm dealing with right now. Waiting on God is hard. The only thing that's harder is wishing that you would have. All right. I want to leave you with two questions this morning um, because you may be sitting there thinking, you're like, okay, Dan, this is all great and I get it. Yes, patience and we should be patient. But isn't there a time in which God is like, are you going to do something or not? Like, how long am I supposed to be patient? At what point am I supposed to get busy and start to make things happen? Maybe God is actually just waiting on me to start taking steps of faith. So how do I know if I should wait for the Lord or if I should work for the Lord? What do I do here? I can give you two questions. This will be a whole message in and of itself at a later time, but I can give you two questions that will help clarify whether you should wait or whether you should get to work, okay? So the first question is this. Ask, is the thing that I'm considering right now sinful or unbiblical? Because if it's sinful, then you already know the answer. Okay, when Saul offered these sacrifices, he knew that it was contrary to the Lord's command. And so when he went to make the sacrifices, there should have been a little voice in his head that said, bro, you know this is not the right thing to do. It's against God's word, so don't do it. If you're asking me, hey, Dan, is this the person I should marry? And I'm like, are you a believer? Yes, are they a believer? No, well then no. That's just, I mean, it's just what it is. God calls us to be equally married, to give our hearts to somebody who loves Jesus in the same way that we do. If, if it's like, hey, I've got an opportunity to get ahead here. It's, it seems like a great opportunity. I can make a lot of money. Okay, is it unbiblical? Would it cause you to do something that violates the, the principles or the precepts of scripture? I don't know, it's right on the line, man. Probably, I don't know, it's so close. That's why I'm a little freaked out by it. Don't do it. You know where the line is. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. So ask yourself, is this unbiblical? If it's unbiblical, then you don't have to go any further. The second question is a little harder to answer. You may need some outside help. You also ask, is the thing that I'm about to do wise? Is this the wise thing for me to do? Not, is it gonna make me happy in the moment? But is it the wise thing? Will it make me happy in the long run? If I had a friend who was in my shoes and they came to me for advice, what would I say to them? And if your answer is like, oh, be patient. It's okay, it's all gonna work out. Do not marry him. Please do not go spend your money over there. Don't buy that car. If your advice to somebody else who was in your shoes is pump the brakes, slow your roll, be patient, then you know you should be patient as well. If you ask those two questions, simple questions, but I find again and again, they clarify the majority of situations that we would be in. Is it sinful or is it wise? Those two questions will help you to know what God might want you to do in this season of patience. <laughs>